You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by Bombas, the company that makes the socks that every single member of my family wears and is obsessed with. I mean, we are obsessed with these socks. Bombas' mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day, and I truly do feel that way about their socks. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxury, cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy layers. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so that they hang just right, and their underwear has a barely there feel with a second skin support that might make you forget they're even there, in a good way. (laughs) And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Go to bombas.com slash 3 and 30 and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 3 and 30 for 20% off. Bombas.com slash 3 and 30. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Have you ever stayed quiet when you were in a group, even though you really wanted to speak up and add your thoughts to the discussion because you were pretty sure that no one would agree with you? Have you ever toned yourself down in a group of girlfriends because you were worried about being too much or too weird or not quite like everyone else? Have you ever silenced a part of you that is whispering that you want to start a business or go back to school or go after a big goal because what would people think? I'm guessing the answer to at least one of those questions is yes, because we have all made ourselves smaller at one time or another in order to fit in or not make waves. Turns out there is a clinical term for this in the psychological world, and it is self-silencing, and we are going to dive into what that is and how we can stop doing it on the episode today. I'm thrilled to be interviewing my cousin, Amber Price, whom I've always loved and admired. She was the oldest cousin on my dad's side of the family, so she was definitely the cool one who led the pack and who we all looked up to growing up, and that hasn't changed in the years since. Amber has a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development, and is currently working on her PhD in the same field. Her research focuses on authenticity and connection, and her mission is to help women love themselves for who they are so that they can find deeper connection with their partners, family, and friends. Amber says she loves her four sons and her husband, Josh, baking cookies of all varieties, and drinking hot chocolate daily, even in July, which is maybe another reason why I love her so much. I'm so excited for the 3 and 30 community to get to learn from her today about how we can be more ourselves in our day-to-day lives as women. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with my cousin, Amber Price. Hello, Amber. Welcome to 3 and 30. Hi. Happy to be here. Well, it is so fun for me. I get to interview my cousin and my dear friend today about a topic that means a lot to both of us, self-silencing. 
And I know that this is something that you've learned a lot more about in your graduate program and now your doctorate degree. And so I just wanted to start by asking you to give a little bit of context. I know the story, but I want listeners to hear how it is that you ended up back in grad school in your 40s (laughs) with four kids, teens, and a busy family. What led you back to grad school? I don't know. It's kind of a jumbled story, but I think it was a little bit of turning 40. Like you said, I'm in my 40s. And I think when I hit 39, I was a little bit like, oh, wow, life is changing. Like that 40 milestone looming in the future was like, oh, am I doing everything I want to be doing with my time and my life and things? My youngest was in first or second grade or so by then. So he was gone all day. And I could just tell that I needed something a little more in my life. Everything I was doing was great and fine. I just felt like I needed to stretch myself a little bit more. I hadn't necessarily nailed down what that was for me yet, but I went to like an education seminar type thing and just found myself immersed in learning one week. And Mm. it just reminded me how much I love to learn and kind of gave me that nudge. I actually went to one course that was on getting out of your comfort zone. And so that kind of had my mind turning like, what do I need to do to get out of my comfort zone? And then this is silly, but funny. One of my sons brought home his English, you'll appreciate this, his English reading list from his high school English class. Mm -hmm. And I started looking through it and just totally geeking out. Like, I want to be reading books and learning things again, because I love it. And so that's kind of just what put me on the path. I think I always knew I'd go back to school, but it just started to feel like the right time at that point. Yeah. Well, I just love it because in some ways, people might think, oh, it's too late, or this isn't the right time because I have these teenagers. And, you know, I remember kind of your process of you had gone to, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you had gone to a Jennifer Finlayson Fife workshop, or you'd heard Mm -hmm. her on some podcasts, and you were really intrigued in her content and learning about it. And then I remember you saying to me, I think I want to go back and study this. And it's just sort of like you follow breadcrumbs of your interests And didn't limit yourself and say, oh, that's crazy. It's too late. You're like, I'm going to try grad school. And you didn't know you'd go on for your doctorate, but you started grad school. And how was juggling that with your boys? It's not easy. It's not even in the realm of easy, I have to say. It's so hard. It stretches me so Mm -hmm. much. And I literally have at least one moment a day where I feel completely inadequate at what I'm doing. But on the flip side, it also feels more true to me than I've ever probably felt. Like I am stretching myself and I'm finding parts about myself that I've never found before. It just feels fabulous. Yeah. It's more authentic, as hard as it is. Yeah. And I love that now you're done with graduate and you're going on for doctorate. So I'm just so proud of you, inspired by you. (laughs) And I'd love to dive more into this topic, which I do think connects to what we were just discussing about your journey of deciding you wanted to go to grad school and and you felt a pull that there was something more you wanted to do. And we're going to talk about self-silencing. So before we start, can you kind of give, is there a definition for that? What is self-silencing? And then we'll talk about how to stop doing it. Yeah, perfect. The concept of self-silencing sort of emerged in the 1990s. There was a therapist, uh, psychologist therapist named Dana Jack, and she was working with a lot of women and she started to notice some things that they were doing. First of all, she knew that the rates of depression in women were quite a bit higher than men. And so she was kind of paying attention to the women that she was working with and what was maybe leading to that and just started to notice this concept of self-silencing that she created, which is essentially silencing yourself. I mean, that's what it says, right? I looked up a definition of silencing though, and it says to prohibit or prevent from speaking. 
That's what silencing would be. And then if you think about what yourself is, it's who you are. So you're literally mm. preventing or prohibiting who you are from emerging, mm. which is devastating, right? Yeah. And so she came up with this theory to kind of put in context why so much depression might be happening among women. And when they started to test it, it, it was true. Yeah. It was accounting for a lot of the depression. But beyond that, they started to find that it also accounted for anxiety. And then if you extend beyond that, it's physical challenges. Things like cancer can be exacerbated by it, HIV oh, wow. and AIDS, irritable bowel syndrome, things like that. In my own research, I've been looking at how it extends into emotional intimacy and connection that you have with other people. It can extend into your romantic relationships, your sexual relationships, so many parts of your life. Yeah. And I should note too, it's not just happening with women. It is happening with men too in kind of different ways, but it happens with both. Yeah. Well, and when you read that definition of silencing, that prohibiting someone from speaking... I think about the times when I have sort of held myself mm -hmm. back, when I've prohibited myself from being my full self because I was afraid of the judgment or different factors. You know, I was like, no, Rachel, silence yourself. You can't be who you really are here. Otherwise, people won't like you or you won't be safe. And if you do that over a lifetime, constantly, what will that do to your spirit, your soul? And also, like you said, your body, your body holds on to yeah. that. I just finished reading The Body Keeps the Score and how connected our bodies really are to our emotions and our experiences. And you can only hold so much for so long before it starts to manifest in other ways. Yeah. And so if women are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I recognize it. I think I do this self-silencing. How can they move beyond that or kind of stop or start opening up more to themselves and to other people? Right. First though, let me just say, you may not recognize that you're doing it in yourself too. Sometimes we do recognize it and sometimes we're doing it without recognizing it. So either way, we can keep talking about it and maybe you'll see ways that you are doing it if you aren't recognizing it yourself. But so the first takeaway I had was to define yourself. I think what you were just saying goes exactly to it. A lot of times we worry so much about what other people will think, that they'll judge us, like I'm going to say the wrong thing or sound stupid. It, it's all around us, right? This idea that I've got to live up to these kind of idealized standards that the world has for me. And so we worry so much about that, that we kind of stifle who we are. We stifle what we might otherwise do or say or think. And that's exactly where a big problem comes in. Mm -hmm. So I have an example of this from my own life. This was back a few years ago before I went back to school and maybe kind of what triggered the going back to school also. I just kind of felt like I was in a little bit of a slump in life. Nothing like from an outsider's perspective, everything looked great probably. You know, I'm happily married, four great kids. I was running a couple of businesses, perfectly content-ish. But I just started to notice that I was kind of in a slump in some of my relationships and things. And I went for a walk one day and I was just struggling with some things. And I was talking to this friend about those things. And what she said to me in that moment, well, I, I think I was saying like, well, I think my kids want me to do dot, 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 or maybe my in-laws want me. I think they think I'm weird because dot, 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 or whatever, you know? And she said, you're worrying too much about what other people think, which is like, duh. She shouldn't have had to say that. And it sounds so obvious. We all know we shouldn't worry about what other people think. But in that moment, for me, it was like that moment where something like echoes through your brain. And so I started to pay more attention to it in my own life. And I could see it everywhere, that I was doing it everywhere. 
The first thing I just remember that really stood out to me was that I had house cleaners that I was paying to come a couple of times a month. And I had had like this ongoing self-judgment in my mind. Like what would other people think? Oh, I'm not teaching my kids to work hard enough. They're going to grow up to be lazy, even though I knew better than that. Like they do chores and they they do work hard or um, I should be spending my money on something else or, you know, just like all these arguments in my mind that weren't even with anybody. They were just in my mind and just shoulds and supposed tos. And as I started to pay more attention to those, I could see them everywhere. Mm, So interesting that that became like a trigger for you to help you see where you were doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, to just start noticing at that point, you weren't even maybe ready to change it, but you were just noticing it, which is the first step. And I would say that if you feel the instinct to hide things, like the fact that you have house cleaners, that's a sign. Like if you're like, well, she can't come on certain days because then what if like my mother-in-law drove by and saw the car there and she would know, or my friends would know, then that's a sign that you're worrying too much about what other people think about it. And I know you said that Josh gave you some good perspective on this exact issue. I mean, this could be applied widely Mm -hmm. to house cleaners or something else, but what did Josh tell you to kind of help you overcome that? He just reminded me that it was my choice how I spend my money. Of course, again, duh, but you know, Mm -hmm. other people spend their money on cable television. I don't care about that. So I choose not to, or other people might spend their money on season tickets to go skiing and I don't care about that or whatever it is. Other people Mm -hmm. get to choose what they do and I get to choose what I do, Mm -hmm. which is- yeah. It should be obvious, but I think a lot of times we sort of have these idealized shoulds in our minds that we think we've got to live up to. And yeah. yeah, totally. So how do you start to define yourself? I think we all know we want to do this, but how do you practically do this? I think what you said goes to it. I, I have people ask me this a lot, and I think the main thing you can do really is to start to pay attention to it in your own life. It's hard to replace it with something else until you see where you're doing it. So Mm. catch yourself doing it. Pay attention in the next week or two. Anything that you're doing, like what's my motivation behind what I'm doing right now? Mm -hmm. Um, And then challenge yourself if that motivation does have to do with what other people think, even if it's, you know, seeking approval of other people. It's not always not being negatively viewed, but also seeking approval. Yeah. And just challenge yourself on that. Well, what would I want to do? If I wasn't worrying about what other voices might tell me to do, yeah. how do I want to parent my kids or how do I want to spend my money or how do I want to, whatever it is. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's hard when you first start doing it. Oh, for sure. You kind of lose that. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I want, you know? Well, and you might feel selfish. Some women listening right now might be feeling some pushback of, well, why do my desires matter so much more than other people's? You know, asking yourself, well, what do I want feels like a selfish question if you've been sort of conditioned to believe that that's a selfish Mm -hmm. question. And what would your response be to that? Is this a selfish thing to ask yourself what you want? Well, I don't think you're, you're not like throwing everyone else aside when you're asking this. You're just considering, well, why do I want this? Maybe Mm -hmm. I do want to do something to care for my children or whatever it is, but why do I want it? Yeah. And you kind of get to own that. I did want to say one thing that has helped me a lot in counseling is getting stuff out of my head and making it as tangible as I can, either just doing a brain dump and writing out all of the thoughts I'm having so I can see them or even making a chart. So like you might make a chart that says what I believe others want from me or Mm. for me on one side, and then 
what do I want for me and why? And so you might write out, I believe that others want me to do this and ask yourself, what do I want and write it on the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you may not yet be able to find the courage to do what you want yet, but just doing that exercise helps you to get clarity and see where you're self-silencing and start kind of moving towards taking actions to live more in alignment with that, which leads really well into your second takeaway. Yeah. One thing I would say about that though, is be patient with yourself. If you don't know what you want, if you're Mm. coming up a little short, I think that's pretty common when you've been silencing yourself for a while. Yes. I totally agree with that. It's going to be a little bit hard and that's okay. Like I've been working on this for years and I still, I found myself very much doing this self-silencing in the last week and I had to catch Mm. myself and say, oh, look, I'm doing it. So be patient with yourself. Yeah, totally. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest provider of counseling done 100% online. In this episode, Amber and I are talking about seeing yourself more clearly. And one of the best ways to actually be able to see your thinking patterns and mental blocks is to go to counseling. Just the other day, my husband and I were actually talking about how completely different I am for the better since I started counseling about 10 years ago. My thoughts used to be consumed with self-loathing and people-pleasing and second-guessing myself, and now I truly feel confident and at peace with who I am and what I offer the world. This didn't happen overnight. It happened with a lot of help from trained counselors who taught me skills for reframing my thoughts and coping in healthy ways. With BetterHelp, you can get started with a trained professional counselor in less than 48 hours. Just go to betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30 and fill out their detailed intake questionnaire. They'll match you with a therapist that you will be able to meet with from the comfort of your home via online video call, chat, or even text. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 3 and 30 listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. This podcast is also sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. If it's still winter weather where you are, you can warm yourself up from the inside out with limited time recipes inspired by cozy classics from around the world, like beef tenderloin and cheese fondue or miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. I love HelloFresh because it challenges me to try recipes that I never would have thought to try on my own. I get to choose the meals that arrive in my boxes from a huge variety on their website and app, and I feel like I'm learning new cooking techniques and new tastes and flavors. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 3in3016 and use code 3in3016 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash 3in3016 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts with the code 3in30. Many thanks to America's number one meal kit for sponsoring the show. So takeaway number two would be then to own your choices. So as you're making these choices and deciding what you want, have ownership over them. What Dana Jacks, the therapist who came up with this, called this was Kara's self-sacrifice. So a lot of times we sacrifice for other people in our lives. And that's Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. That's a wonderful, good thing. That's part of being in a relationship. That's part of being a mom or a wife or a friend or whatever it is. But the problem in this comes when you're doing it specifically to be loved, to earn that person's love or respect or validation and not because you want to do it. 
Mm. I feel like I've heard you talk about this quite a bit with motherhood and and kind of choosing what you want for yourself within it. Yeah. And of course, motherhood's always going to have that sacrifice. But when mm-hmm. you can say, hey, I choose what I'm doing right now, or I want this, or I don't want this, yeah. and, and have that ownership, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, you can do the exact same actions that you were doing before. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that you have owned the choice and you've decided I'm not doing this because I have to or I should to be a good mom. I'm doing this because I want to. You know, it removes a lot of the resentment from the actions that you're taking. You may take a look at the things that you do on a day-to-day basis and decide you're not going to do some of them anymore. But you may end up doing a lot of the same things. But the difference is you know that you want those things. And it's a huge shift, even though from the outside, it might not look like it. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. One of the things you said was resentment and this, so the silencing scale, the silencing the self scale that Dana Jack came up with has four areas. And the two that go hand in hand is this care of self-sacrifice. And then what she called the divided self. And that's where internally you're resentful and you're angry, but you put on that smiling face and pretend everything's fine for everyone else. And it goes so closely with not owning your choices. Mm. And so when you do start to own those choices, that can kind of ease that internal resentment and things. And that's the part that's most closely associated with depression and other mental health struggles. Yeah. Do you have any examples of when you realized you had a divided self and you weren't really owning your choices? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, let me say, I think one way to sum this part up can be people pleasing. Mm. I think that's like something that women do a lot, right? We say yes to things that we don't really want to do. You know, I was PTA president a few years ago at my kid's school. I really had zero desire to do that job, but I got asked and I I didn't even get asked. I got kind of pushed into it and just went along with it. And that one wasn't particularly bad for me. I didn't hate it or anything, but I think that that's kind of the example of just, oh, I'll do it because people want me to do it or expect me to do it. I had told you about this Christmas. I feel like Christmas can be a big one for moms, any holidays, right? (laughs) There's all these expectations around making it magical for your kids and whatever. And frankly, I'm not a huge lover of Christmas because of that. I like the Christmas season, but the actual day or around Mm -hmm. there, I don't always love. And so I had deliberately told myself, I'm not going to make this Christmas season crazy. And I've done pretty well on it until those couple of days right before Christmas. I feel like then the expectations really peak, especially from the kids, right? It's Christmas Eve. They've got so many dreams for how the day's going to go. And frankly, as a mom, I've got dreams of how the day should go, maybe because those shoulds and supposed tos are coming in. And so I just hit my wall that day. And by the time we (laughs) sat down, we were going to have fondue. That's our tradition. We do like cheese and chocolate fondue. And I sat down at the table and everyone was being so awful. It was just an (laughs) awful moment. And I just like snapped at them. I was like, you are all jerks. You're all brats, you know. (laughs) really, really set the tone real festive for the start of our Christmas Eve. (laughs) Anyway, and it took us a little bit of time to get out of it. But that whole night, I just was like, I am so drained. So just drained. Like I'm not finding enjoyment in this because I've given too much of who I am Mm -hmm. to making these other things happen that the shoulds and supposed tos or expectations. Yeah. I laugh because, you know, I've had many a moment like that, (laughs) many a mom tantrum that I'm not going to go into right now on the air, but (laughs) I've shared some of them here. But I do think that this is really a big one as mothers. We want gratitude from our children for the things that we do. And maybe that is a reasonable thing to want. 
but that's hard because a lot of times they're not going to give that to us. (laughs) And so we ultimately have to decide if what we're doing, we want to do anyway, even if we don't get the gratitude. Like I want to plan the Christmas Eve fondue dinner because I want to, and it's fun. And even if my kids are kind of grumpy, even if nobody thanks me or says that it was such a special night, I'm still going to be able to hold on to my integrity and not lose it because I know I'm doing what I want to do, not what I think everybody else wants me to do. Exactly. That's hard. I'm not saying that's easy, but I have found that with parenting, when I hold on to this is my choice, then I'm much less likely to expect a certain result from my kids because I can't control my kids, unfortunately. I wish I could. I wish I could force them to be excited about the outing that I planned or the trip or the whatever, but they're cranky. And usually they come around if I hold on to my good attitude and my cheerfulness and I refuse to like let them bring me down. And I think we're doing this because I want to do it. And if they don't appreciate it, that's okay. Then eventually they do come around and have a good time and they might even say thank you at the end of it. But They're not going to be showing me constant gratitude all the time, but I can still own the choices for how I want to do motherhood, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, honestly, this isn't, this isn't a positive thing to say, but I feel like it gets harder when they're teenagers. I'm sure. Unless they want to hang out with me or I'm like, oh, you have a day off from school. I've got great ideas of what we should do. And they're less interested than that. I know. I mean, I've seen that Noah's only 10, but I sense that shift already in him that, he's becoming more and more his own person. And I have to be okay with that and also be my own person and do what I do for him out of love for him and love for myself instead of out of a desire for validation of some sort. Because I will be crushed in his teen years if I'm relying on him for validation. And it's too much pressure on him too. My self-image can't be based around him or any of my children. So- I'm glad you brought up those teen years. That is so true. Yeah. I think that reminded me when you were talking of just a little moment in the last couple of years that I had, I was just mopping my kitchen floor and it was a Saturday afternoon and I just felt so grumpy and I stopped and paid attention to why. And I realized I was grumpy because other people in my house were grumpy. The Mm. kids were not wanting to do their chores or whatever it was. And they were grumpy. And I realized I was, I was not owning my own choices. I was letting other people's moods and things dictate how I felt rather than just choosing for myself what I wanted to feel like and what I wanted to do with my time and things. Yeah, totally. And I feel like one thing that's helped me again with writing, it always goes back to writing for me, is again, making a chart and putting the service on one side or like what I'm doing for others or for my family. And then on the other side, why am I doing this? And be honest. (laughs) Actually journal, oh, I actually think I'm doing this because I think I'm supposed to, or it's a should. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of start to reframe it and say, do I still want to? I do still want to, but what motivation is the motivation I want to have for this activity instead of that other thing? And it just kind of helps you work through it a little bit. That's been really, really helpful for me. Yeah. I love that you write it all down. Oh yeah. I have to, to (laughs) process anything. I have to get it out of my brain and write it out. And then what is your third and final takeaway? So the third takeaway is to speak up. The final scale from Dana Jack's self-silencing scale is literally just called silencing the self. And it's just the idea that sometimes we don't say what we want to say or need to say. I think I was thinking about this preparing for this podcast, and I think this could also be show up or 
you know, speak up, say what you need to say, show up, do what you need to do, act like how you want to act. Mm. It, it's sort of just being who you want to be. But I think some of this, it really is the voice thing. It goes to the idea, you know, there's kind of the joke that women can't decide where they even want to go to dinner. You know, it's date night and you're like, where should we go? And it's, I don't know, where do you want to go? That's like a minor and funny little thing, but it's kind of a reality. We sort of get used to stifling our own needs or desires and just deferring to somebody else sometimes Mm -hmm. because it just seems easier to let somebody else decide. But then slowly over time, you kind of lose your connection with those desires. Mm -hmm. Another big one is that there's research that shows that when women and men are in a group together, women speak up way less often than the men do or than they would when other women are present. Interesting. And I feel like I see that even I consider myself a pretty confident, somewhat outspoken woman, but like in church settings and Sunday Mm -hmm. school or different things, I find myself a lot of times not speaking up or just thinking, oh, kind of like, what's the point here? Yeah, you know, I'm exactly. not sharing my idea or perspective. And it does seem like it is the men that dominate a lot of those conversations. When you get the women's group together after that, then the women are all chatty and sharing. Yeah. But when the men are in the room, the women are more likely to be quiet. And that's that's not right because we have really valuable things to add yeah. and contribute. And I had an experience speaking of Sunday school where an older gentleman made a comment that really struck me as important enough. Like I needed to speak up because it felt like the right thing to do. I needed everyone in the room to know that what he had said was not how everybody in the room felt. It was a comment about the LGBTQ community. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, I actually don't agree with that. And here's why. And I shared my perspective and it was kind of scary But what was so cool was that afterwards he approached me and said, I sure hope I didn't offend you. I'm so glad that you shared your perspective. I realized that I don't know everything on this topic. And that speaks a lot to his openness and willingness to learn. But I really felt like it fostered a more genuine learning environment in that room because I was willing to speak up and say kind of an alternative perspective and that that other people appreciated it, you know, and the more you do it, the better you get at it, especially when it's kindly received like that, then you're like, okay, I'm safe. I can do this again. And so it just takes practice sometimes to speak up and share your beliefs with other people. Yeah. What you don't know, you and I haven't had this conversation, but I had that exact experience in my own Sunday school class. Only I was, I was the teacher. So I had Uh to speak up. Well, maybe I didn't have to, but same conversation, a man saying things that I felt like it was important for me to fight back against a little bit in a kind way, but Uh oh man, was my heart pounding. It was scary. It was hard, but it felt super important to me too. And I love that the guy that you talked to was willing to come up to you after and say, Hey, thanks for that. I did have a number of people in the room come up to me after and thank me. And I just Mm -hmm. think sometimes we don't realize how important our voice really is. And you know, when we use it, we strengthen other people. And so when we don't, what's the world missing out on when we don't use our own voice? Well, and it's an act of trust to share what you really believe, to share yourself with someone else. It's, It's a gift to them. And I think people really do feel that and receive that and know that, oh, she just shared something important to her and that was scary. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult as women to, you know, what they call boundaries, you know, saying no to things or that can be really scary to do. But I always feel like when somebody says no to me or they share their honest opinion that's different than mine, I'm like, wow, they really trust me 
to be able yeah. to show their true selves and it deepens our friendship. Yes. And honesty is kind. Being your honest self is is kind and it's a gift. So if you can remember that, yeah. instead of doing this divided self thing where you're yeah. pretending one thing and feeling another, you're really giving a true gift to the people around you in your life. Yeah. And what you said about the connection piece, you're going to connect so much more deeply when you're, when you're willing to do that. I have one more quick story that could fit with that too. I think, you know, we said speak up, but I think the show up also is important. And I've just recently been really paying attention to this and hearing other women talk about why they sometimes don't reach out to other women when they want to, you know, to serve or to do things, you know, somebody's going through a hard time or whatever. And I heard a bunch of different women say they just feel inadequate or they they're worried that they're going to say something stupid or do the wrong thing. And just listening to that broke my heart to think like, how much good could we all be doing in the world if we weren't so worried about that? But then last week I had an opportunity where I was going to reach out to somebody who was having a hard time. And I had a plan. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was making dinner and some things. And I found myself that day, like, or I could just not, because it would be easier to not. You know, mm -hmm. I could just skip over it. Nobody would know. Nobody knew I was going to do it or anything. And I found like, oh, that's that's a little bit of self-silencing too, right? Because I'm mm -hmm. worried that it might not be received as well or whatever it is. Yeah. And yeah. instead just forced myself to do it. And I was glad I did and things. But so I think it's not just your voice. It's, it's who you are too. Like don't stifle any of those parts of you that are so wonderful can be blessing other people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so important and such a great note to end on. Amber, tell us a little bit more about if people want to continue learning from you, where they can find your work and what you have coming up. Yeah, I've got a website that I just recently launched. It's amberaprice.com. And on that site, I've got just a lot of articles and things to help you through the self-silencing and a lot of related topics. And then I'm working on a course that should be launching in May, which I'm really excited about. It'll be called Authentically You about really stepping into who you really are and, and making those steps forward. That's so exciting. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You know, in all your free time, yeah. getting your doctorate, <laughs> being a mom to four teenagers, you're making a course. Yeah. Well, so, let's just say I thought I was going to launch it last summer and now I'm saying May. So I get it. Well, thank you for coming today and sharing your wisdom and for the light that you've been in my life, you know, my whole life and the conversations <laughs> that we've had for many, many years about these topics. It's really exciting for me to get to see you live it out in a professional sense. And I know you feel the same way about seeing me live it out yeah, in a professional sense. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful to have you as a mentor in my life. And thanks for coming on 3 and 30. Well, right back at you. Thank you. Many thanks to my cousin Amber for sharing such wise thoughts with us today, and she actually took that a step further and created a free PDF for you if you'd like some journaling and writing exercises to start working through this process of getting to know yourself more fully and sharing yourself more fully with other people. Her PDF goes exactly along with the three takeaways from this episode, and I will link that in my show notes. Now for a recap of Amber's takeaways for how to stop self-silencing. First, define yourself instead of relying on other people's opinions to define you. It can be hard to even know when you are worrying more about what other people think of you than what you think of you. And the first step to stop doing this is to simply notice. Notice when you're worrying about what others will think and start to mentally challenge that. To make this even more tangible, you could make a chart and on one side write what others want for me or from me, and on the other side write what I want for me and why, which leads perfectly into takeaway number two. Own your choices. 
Stop doing things because you think you should and take an honest look at your deeper motivations. Do you want to do this? Why or why not? It may surprise you to discover that you actually do want to do a lot of the things that you are currently doing for your family, but are feeling resentful about. And those things that you don't want to do anymore, figure out a way to delegate them, make them a bit more fun, or simply let them go. Third and finally, in order to stop self-silencing, you need to speak up. Use your voice to share your opinions with a group, don't hold back from expressing your concerns, and start being more of yourself when you're with trusted friends. If this is hard for you, start small and see how it's accepted. The more you share of yourself, the easier it will get, and the more connection you'll build with the people around you. It is truly an act of trust to be honest and open with the people in your life, and I promise you that your relationships will be deeper and more fulfilling as a result. I so appreciate you being here and doing this soul work with me, and I hope you know that I am rooting for you. I truly hope that you have a beautiful week with your family.